Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Bible Backdrop Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we're continuing on our journey through the cities of Paul's letters. The stop today will be at Ephesus. The city of Ephesus is located in modern-day Turkey. As we learned in the last episode, this area is also called Anatolia, or Asia Minor. It was located at the mouth of the Caister River, about three miles from the western coast of Asia Minor. Ephesus was an easily accessible city. The harbor could handle the largest ships. It stood at the end of a valley that led into the interior of Asia Minor, and it was connected by highways to the other chief cities of the province. The city stood upon the slopes of two hills, Prion and Coressus. This made it difficult to attack. It had an excellent climate and very fertile land. The founding of the city is somewhat shrouded in mystery. Legends say that it was founded by the Amazons, an all-female tribe in Greek mythology. They founded the city after their escape from Heracles, or more commonly known as Hercules. Others say it was founded by Androcles, the last king of Athens, around the 11th century BC. Either way, it was around this time that settlements started to pop up in the area. The city continued to grow as a Greek colony and became quite wealthy. It became a city-state, or polis, much like the other Greek cities, and joined the Ionian League. You may remember the city of Corinth joined the Achaean League. The city remained a Greek polis until 560 BC, when it was taken over by the Lydians, a tribe of people that lived in Anatolia. In 557 BC, it was taken over by the Persians. From there, the Greeks and Persians disputed the claim to the city. The dispute was settled in 334 BC, when Alexander the Great freed the city from the Persians. After his death, his descendant, Lysimachus, took control of the area that included Ephesus. Lysimachus named it Arsinoe in honor of his second wife. It was at this time that the city was built in the area which Paul would eventually visit and that I described earlier. After the death of Lysimachus, the city was taken over by the Egyptians and then by the Syrians. In 190 BC, it was deeded to Rome by Attalus II, king of Pergamos, and became part of the province of Asia. Ephesus and Pergamos were the two powerhouse rival cities of the province. Pergamos was the center of the Roman government and religion, but Ephesus had the better accessibility, was a greater commercial center, and was a location of the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Located a mile outside the city, the Temple of Artemis was certainly a sight to behold. Historically, the temple described in the Book of Acts is actually the third temple. The first temple had been built and destroyed, time unknown. The second had been built in the 5th century BC. This temple stayed until 356 BC, when it was burned down by a man who wanted his name to be known. Supposedly, this happened on the very night of Alexander the Great's birth. In 336 BC, Alexander offered to pay for the rebuilding of the temple if his name could be inscribed on it. The Ephesians refused, saying that it would not be right for a god to build a temple to another god. The temple was finished about a hundred years later and, like I said earlier, was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. It had 127 columns, each about 4 feet in diameter. 
To put it in perspective, it was 20 yards longer than a football field, including the end zones, and 60 feet wider. The Artemis represented in Ephesus was a bit different than the one you may see from Greece. In Greek mythology, Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, chastity, and the moon. The Ephesian Artemis was more of a fertility goddess, and her statue reflected that. Besides being a place of worship, the temple had other functions. It was also a museum that contained prized works of art and statuary. It also operated as a bank. As people deposited monetary offerings in hopes of receiving something from the goddess, some of this money was loaned out and returned with interest. Finally, it was also a city of refuge. Nobody could be arrested within a bowshot of its walls. As a result, a village of criminals sprung up around the temple. Every year, people from all over would travel to the temple for a multi-day festival called the Artemisia. This usually happened in the March-April time frame and included feasting and Olympic-style games. Later, it became a time for men to look for brides. There were a large number of artisans who created images of the goddess to sell to worshippers. They made a substantial living this way and, as we will see later, this caused some trouble with the early church. Before looking at the biblical accounts and acts regarding Ephesus, there are a few more details I want to cover. The population of the city hovered around 250,000 people. It had a large agora, or marketplace, that was 360 feet long on each side. Finally, they had a theater that could hold up to 25,000 people. For a city of this time, Ephesus was quite large and had a lot of amenities. Now, in the book of Acts, we first hear about Ephesus in chapter 18. At the end of his second missionary journey, Paul stops there and only talks in the synagogue. The people ask him to stay, but he leaves to go back to Antioch. However, he promises to return if God wills it. Acts chapter 19 shows him fulfilling this promise and returning to Ephesus. He stays on for two years establishing the church and having astounding success, but not without quite a bit of trouble. First, he meets some of John's disciples and completes what they have been taught by telling them about Jesus. Then he preached in the synagogue first, as was his custom. This lasted for three months until some members of the synagogue, quote, were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, end quote. He left the synagogue and went to the school of Tyrannus. The Bible doesn't mention anything about Tyrannus, but we can speculate a few things. Ephesus, besides being a commercial port, was also a great center of learning. The school could have been a lecture hall where traveling philosophers could come and give lectures and persuasive speeches. A place such as this would have been visited by locals and visitors to the city. As a result, the gospel spread very rapidly throughout the city and the surrounding area. Paul's ministry was astoundingly successful. Acts talks about clothing that Paul had touched was brought to people and they were healed. People who formerly practiced dark and probably demonic magic burned their very expensive scrolls. Understand that this was not a small act. Magic was ingrained in the culture, and the scrolls represented a part of that. To burn these scrolls was to push away a part of the culture. It would be equal to people in the U.S. today burning Bibles in a town square. It also represented economic danger to people who wrote and sold these scrolls. As time goes on, we see that Paul starts to get some pushback from a silversmith named Demetrius. Paul's ministry is so successful that, in a city of 250,000, 
Demetrius sees enough of a loss that he has to do something. He starts a riot by appealing to the other craftsmen and business people on religious and economic grounds. They get two of Paul's companions and drag them to the theater I'd mentioned earlier for what appears to be a show trial. Paul was told not to go so as not to escalate the riot. Finally, the town clerk, who was more like a mayor of the city, calmed the crowd and told them to follow the procedure for bringing a suit. The last thing he wanted was a riot. Why? He didn't really care about Paul or his friends. What he cared about was keeping order in the city in front of the Romans. Rome wasn't fond of riots, no matter the reason. If the government of Ephesus couldn't keep order and allowed a riot, Rome would clamp down on the freedoms and authority of the Ephesians. Soon after this incident, Paul continued his missionary journey. Now that we've wrapped up the history and biblical story of what happened in Ephesus, I want to do a quick overview of the book itself. Ephesians is mostly a book of exhortations. Unlike Galatians or Corinthians, it doesn't deal with a particular problem. In fact, it may have been written to head off any potential problems as were happening in other churches. Many scholars also believe that Ephesians, like Galatians, was meant to be a circular letter intended for multiple churches. Given the spread of the gospel from Ephesus, this is probably a good assumption. On that note, we will close the book on Ephesus. Our next stop in Paul's letters is the city of Philippi. If you're enjoying Bible Backdrop, please subscribe and leave a 5-star rating and review. As I said in the last episode, word of mouth is the best way for the podcast to grow. Please tell a friend about us and get them to subscribe. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at biblebackdrop@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and have a great week.